if you're watching online, um, my name's Tony. If you're new here, you don't know who I am, I'm Tony. I am the lead pastor here. Uh, Brandon is our student pastor. We also have a kids pastor, Pastor Andy. And uh, Tracy is our, we're just introducing you to the staff. I think we're planning some things in the future for some of these staff things. It's going to be fun up here, pre-service stuff. Uh, so you get to know some of us a little better. And um, it's going to be fun. I think. I don't know. Um, I'm letting other, we're starting to let other people plan those things and uh, we'll see what happens. But I'm the lead pastor here. Today we're going to start a brand new series called Sower. The Sower. All right. We're going to spend four weeks in one parable uh, that Jesus told in Matthew chapter 13. Uh, we're going to stay there for four weeks and we're going to break it down. Um, but before we get too far along, I just want to um, start by saying this. You don't have to live in a cave. Follow me. You don't have to live in a cave to sense something ain't wrong with our world. Something ain't right with our world. Right? You don't have to live in a cave. You don't have to go very far. You don't have to travel the world with the way that we have information now and the internet and the speed of news, 24-hour news cycles. I mean, you don't have to live in a cave to fully understand there's just something wrong with the world. I mean, it's messed up. It's broken. It's not working. I mean, senseless shootings, bitter fighting amongst people. You turn on the news and you see all this hate and this violence and you see all these wars happening around the world. And you're like, you hear numbers that are staggering, that like 700,000 people have died in a civil war over 10 years. And you're thinking, you can't even imagine that, right? 700,000 people. You see human trafficking. You see use and abuse of the weakest among us. But no worries. We got the smartest people in the world on it, right? They're on it. I mean, they're out there right now on the trail on both sides of our political parties saying they've got the answers to our problems. And they're making promises and they're fighting for their way of life and they're saying, if you just do this, it'll fix these problems. If you just do this, it'll fix poverty. If you just do this, people will love more. And it's all this stuff. And we got the smartest among us. The most successful among us. The most talented, the most experienced. I mean, they are the most educated people. Well, let me tell you. That's not going so well either, is it? Each side wants the power to fix our problems. And even though they promise, <laughs> the world continues to stink. Well, even their wanting to get power stinks with hate and malice toward each other. They don't get it. They don't get it. And some of y'all been sucked into their stuff. I've been sucked into their stuff. That somehow one side's better than the other. Now this ain't a political, you know me better than that. I've never been political with anybody. I want you to see something this morning. Because I fear, church, you're putting all your hope in the wrong place. Each side 
fights for power by name-calling and tearing down and secret behind-the-door deals and trying to find dirt on one another and tear one another down. Malice, revenge, hatefulness, all to get power. Why? Because their way will fix your problems. They promise. And the problem's not just in the world, is it? Something's wrong in us. Something's wrong around us, but there's also something wrong in us. We get this sense that there's just things aren't as they should be. Not only is it the exterior world, but also it's personal. Maybe you're here today and you're not a believer. You've never jumped into the Jesus way. You've never said, you know, I just believe and I'm giving my heart to Jesus and I'm going all out. And you're not sure about this whole God thing, the whole Jesus story. So you live as if this is your home. That these systems and this way of life and trying to understand this, and, and, but you still feel off. Even if you're not a believer and you've bought into the way of the world and you just think, well, it's just, you know, I'm just going to buy into these systems and this framework and this way of living and it excludes God because I'm not sure I believe in that. That's okay. I'm not telling you, I'm not shaming you this morning. I'm just saying you don't have to be religious to still feel like something's just not right here. You still feel a little out of place, don't you? You still feel as though the world is not as it should be. No matter how hard we try, no matter what programs we implement, no matter what parties in the White House or in the, in the Senate, or it doesn't matter. It just, something's wrong. It's like you're trying to screw a Phillips screw head with a flathead screwdriver. That's how your life is. It doesn't fit. And you have to work really hard. And no matter how hard you work, you don't seem to be getting anywhere. Maybe you're a believer this morning. Your eyes have been opened to what God has for you. And life is better since you started following Jesus because I believe Jesus makes life better and makes me better at life. And maybe things are better for you. Your, lo- your life has changed. Your world has changed. And now you're on the right path. And you have a purpose and a sense. And you understand your creator. And you're connected with him. And you're growing. But even if you are a believer in following Jesus, you still have this sense that something ain't quite right. So here's the tension. It's inward. And it's, it's inward and it's outward. You feel the tension every day in your life and in your world that something's not quite right. The tension, whether it's finances, relationships, marriage, future, purpose, we are aware of all that is wrong around us, but we also feel even for the believer, that there's still something even wrong around us and in us. That there's more. Jesus said this in Mark 1.15. The time has come. This was 2,000 years ago. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. 
Well, there's been a lot of kingdoms in this world. But the kingdom of God? And he says, repent and believe the good news. Jesus starts out his ministry with this statement. Great, right? You're like, if you're listening to Jesus and he says, listen, the kingdom of God has come. All right, been waiting for that. I mean, the kingdom of God is a good thing, right? I mean, think about it. If anyone can set this wrong right, it's God. Even if you're not a believer, there's something in you, you're like, wow, even if I don't believe in a God, I hope there's a God that can set this right because we're doing a mess job of it. You actually have this hope that maybe there is someone who can set this right. And Jesus shows up and says, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, that means peace. Everything that's wrong in the world is now going to be right. That means peace. That means justice. True justice. He's a just God. That means love and hope. That means all kinds of good things because the kingdom of God is a good thing. But here's a question for us. Where is it? I mean, 2,000 years ago, Jesus told us the kingdom of God is near. Where is it? Why are we still fighting one another? Why is there still hate and wars and strife? Where is this kingdom that Jesus talked about? What does repent and believe mean? And what does that have anything to do with the kingdom? And here's our tension. We live in a world on fire. We live in a world in chaos. And a kingdom that is near. But a kingdom that is not quite fully here yet. Did you get all that? That's our tension. We live in a world that is on fire. And we live in a kingdom that is near, but not quite full yet. And that's the tension for us today. People in Jesus' day felt the same way. You're not alone. I'm not alone. 2,000 years ago, maybe their circumstances were different, but the problems and the tension were the same. They're human. They had the same human problems we had. They had the same human breakdowns that we have. We, Jesus comes in and he confuses everyone and he says, look, the kingdom of heaven is near, man. Get ready. Things are going to get better. In their mind, they thought that. But yet the people were being persecuted. They were being crushed by a boot called the Roman Empire. In them, when Jesus said the kingdom is near, they had this incredible messianic hope. They wanted to believe him. They wanted to put all their faith behind him. They were ready to fight. They were ready to organize. They were ready to give all their money and life to it because he was going to raise an army and they were going to overthrow the Roman government and they were going to set up God's kingdom. When Jesus said the kingdom of God is near, they thought, oh, a kingdom like the Roman kingdom or like the U.S. government.
they had a deep river of messianic hope. And it was being fed by groups of people such as the zealots. The zealots were these radical nationalists. They were ready for war. They were organizing. As a matter of fact, they had tried many times to overthrow locally there. And the zealots were organized. As a matter of fact, Jesus had a couple of them in his 12. They were zealots. They were ready to fight. And then you had the people who just were tired of the heavy hand. Jesus came with a kingdom. But instead of swords and instead of armies and instead of battles and instead of overthrowing a government... Jesus came and he started to talk about power and authority that was more concerned with a person's heart than an army. There's the confusion. Jesus was more concerned about the ruling of one's heart rather than ruling the Romans or the Jews. Jesus seemed more concerned about matters of the heart than he did swords and armies. Jesus said things like this. Love your enemies. Forgive those who hurt you. If someone comes and they steal your cloak, take the cloak, steal your coat, take the cloak off of you and give it to them too. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so here's the question. How is it possible that our greatest human struggles can be solved by simply a change of the heart? Not a change in the White House. Not a change in a political system. Not a change in a government. Not a change in marriage. A spouse. Not a change in my work. Not a change in my home. But how can our greatest struggles in life be solved by simply a change of the heart? That's what Jesus was preaching. That's what Jesus was teaching. The people were confused. And I think we are at times too. We just want Jesus to come and just fix all this. If God is all-powerful, if God is all-knowing, if God is good and able, then why is so much wrong in our world? And if the kingdom of heaven is so close, why are we still struggling? So Jesus needs to explain some things to people, right? I mean, I'm thinking about this time. Jesus, you need to explain some things. Because you get to a part in Matthew where Jesus is in his ministry, and people are large groups of people are following him. But he hits this part of his ministry where it's a struggle for him. People start to challenge him. People start to leave him. People start to not believe in him. People start to criticize him. And the the ministry gets kind of bogged down. And instead of people just clamoring to follow him at whatever, whatever they, you know, everything is, they're all in because he's the Messiah. He's bringing the kingdom of God. He starts to teach about the kingdom of God and the people get mad and leave. And so Jesus sits down in Matthew chapter 13 and he begins to explain to the people what the kingdom of God really is. He challenges their mind of what's going to fix their problems. Matthew chapter 13 verse 1, he says this. That same day, 
Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and he sat in it. While all the people stood on the shore to listen to him. Then he told them many things in parables. Here's where the parables come in. He used these parables to something that is very commonly known, something very truthfully commonly known, to explain a, great, a greater, deeper truth. He says this, A farmer went out to sow his seed. Now, when you think of that, farmer got in a tractor, poured some seed in a planter, plowed his ground up, went out there and created these really nice rows of corn and beans. If Dennis put them down, they're probably crooked. Just kidding, Dennis. Dennis does that for a living. Used to. Probably these perfect rows. But they were in an agricultural system where they didn't have tractors. Here's how they planted. They walked out to their fields They didn't have tractors and all this stuff, so their fields were quite small. And all the way around these fields were paths where the farmers would walk. And then they had the ground. They would reach into a bag with all this seed, and they would just start broadcasting the seed. And they'd just reach in and grab some more seed and throw it. Jesus begins to talk to them that the kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who reaches in the bag, grabs some seed and throws it into a field. must have been bizarre that they're thinking power, kingdoms, authority, swords, war, and Jesus starts to talk to them about a farmer who plants his seed. Y'all seen the karate kid? Not the new one, but the old one. Or maybe the new one. Y'all know what the karate kid, right? The boy wanted to do karate, right? And so he finds this guru, Mr. Miyagi, and teach me karate. I want to know about karate. He says, sure. Takes him over. See that bucket of paint? And that paintbrush? Paint that big fence. But here's how you're going to paint. Right? He does that for days frustrated i want to know about karate i'm teaching you he's confused you're teaching me to paint well let's do this takes him to his car see that wax wax on wax off right wax on wax off and he's frustrated and he gets really upset with mr miyagi i think the people kind of felt like this You need to talk about the kingdom of God and you're talking about a farmer that plants his seed. And they're frustrated. So Jesus tells the story of the sower spreading the seed. And we'll get to that just in a moment, the deeper meaning of it. But I want to set it up for you. Jesus needs them to understand that the real power of the kingdom is not in swords, it's not in politics it's not in government it's not in in anything else or authority in the world jesus wants them to see that the real power of the kingdom the real change that they've been wanting 
the real change that will change their lives and their world doesn't just happen, but it's something like a seed that's planted in your heart that when it begins to grow and it's allowed to go deep, it will produce what you desire in life. The power to change is not found in external force, but in internal surrender. The power of the kingdom is not obvious like an army. The power of the kingdom, it does not appear. And everything is just made right because the the kingdom just shows up. This is not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is a seed that is planted in the hearts of people that begins to grow. And when you hear the word and you understand the word and you obey the word, the kingdom of God begins to grow. That's where the kingdom of God is, Jesus is trying to tell them. The power is not obvious. The kingdom isn't just enough. It's not enough just that the kingdom exists, but the kingdom must take root in us. It must grow in us like a seed that produces a mighty uh, harvest. So Jesus gives us this meaning that the power of the kingdom is found when those who hear the gospel and understand it and obey it And we can only understand when we're listening. I know it's crazy, but listen. The world will change. The world will become different. Your marriage will change. Your family will change. Your relationships will change. Your city will change. Your country will change. Everything will change when the seed that is being spread, which is called the gospel, takes root in people's lives. And it begins to grow up and produce 50, 75, 100 times what that little seed started at. We like to think of the kingdom of God like this great thing that's coming out of heaven. And God's sitting on the throne and here it comes. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a seed. It's a seed that's planted in the human heart. So I'm giving you the meaning of the parable right up front. And that's okay, because what I really want to talk to you about is not so much the meaning of the parable. I want you to understand the meaning of the parable up front. What I really want to talk about is the soil. How does the kingdom of God grow in the world? How does it grow? The world's a mess. The world's messed up. Here's how we think. God, fix my life. God, fix my marriage. God, fix my relationship. God, fix, and you fill in the blank, right? And so we put the responsibility on God. God, I need you to do this for me. And God, in a sense, says, wait a minute. The word of God is going out. Seeds are being planted. 
And if you will nurture your heart, if you will nurture the ground that, if you'll plow up the ground and let the, the seed take root, it'll begin to grow. And guess what? As that grows and matures, your marriage will get better, your life will get better, your relationships will get better. All of this is going to fix. But we want God to just do it for us. And God's saying, no, I'm planting, I'm throwing seed. I'm giving you the word. The word has come. It's, it's here. You need to let it work in your life. You need to let it grow. You need to let it go deep. You need to let it influence you. And when you surrender internally to the word of God that you hear, then the kingdom begins to grow. Jesus turns the responsibility of growing back on you. Because he says, listen. Listen, hear the word. Jesus tells the story of the sower, as we've been talking about, and he puts this responsibility back on us. The kingdom of God will take hold as people become hearers of the word and doers of the word. So the problem isn't that the kingdom is powerless. We want the kingdom to come and change everything. The problem isn't that the kingdom is powerless. The problem is... The seed falls on different ground. The problem is, is where the seed falls. It's not that the gospel's not being spread. It's not that you're not hearing the word. Some of you, you're hearing it right now. And it's some of the seed is just skipping off of you like a rock on, on stone. It's like going out here in a paved parking lot and just skipping a rock. It's just... The kingdom of God is the word that takes root in my heart and in my mind. So he goes on, and here's where we're going to get into just this short part here. Matthew chapter 13, we're going to step into verse 3, 4, and then I'm going to go down to verse 18 and 19 because there's a lot in between there. Jesus tells the parable, they're confused, and then he explains it. Here's what he says. Then he told them many things in parables. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. Everyone there would have went, oh, I know what that is. That's hard. The path is where the farmer walks around his field. There's limestone in this area. They clear all the rocks out and try to get as many rocks out of the field as they can, but the path is limestone. It's very hard. Why is he throwing the seed on? Well, they understood that. That's the only way it worked. If you wanted to get seed even on the edges of the good soil, they had to throw it along there, and some fell on the path. And Jesus said they fell on the path. When it falls on the path, listen, the birds came and ate it up. Now, you're smart, right? How good is seed if it gets eaten by a bird? Somebody. It's not good, is it? Why? What's the purpose of a seed? What's the purpose of a seed? To grow. To grow. Jesus is saying the, word, the kingdom of God is like a seed. It wants to grow. And when that seed just gets snatched up, it's pointless. How much word have you heard in your life that if you would have allowed it to grow, 
would change something of where you're at today. And instead, you're still struggling with the same old things and you're not surrendering and sin and pride and all this. And that's the seeds of just bouncing off of you. And the birds are eating them up. So Jesus explains it. They don't understand. What do you mean by this? So he goes on. Listen to what the parable of the sower means. When people hear the message about the kingdom that I've been sharing with you this morning, the good news that Jesus loves us and God loves us through Jesus, and do not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their hearts. There it is. Jesus is talking about hearts. Tell us about the kingdom. How, many are, how big of our army going to be? How big is the war chest going to be? How many people are, are joining up? Are, is everybody in? Jesus says, no, the kingdom of heaven, guys, it's about seed that's getting planted in your hearts. This is the seed sown along the path. Jesus is saying to us, those who have hard hearts cannot hear and understand the word. And if you can't hear and understand the word because your heart is hard, the seed will not take root and you will miss out on what the kingdom wants to grow in you. How do our hearts harden? Well, the first way is sin. Sin just simply hardens our heart. Sin is that rebellious spirit in you that thinks you don't need God and you don't need others. Actually, it's even deeper than that. Sin is that rebellious spirit in you that makes life all about you. No matter how you try to get through life, no matter how you sugarcoat it, we use one another to get what I want, and when I don't get what I want, I'm through. It destroys our marriages, it destroys our relationships, it destroys our world. When people can't come together because all they want is, all they have is jealousy and envy and malice and hate and revenge in their heart, these things spring up from the sin of a hard heart. And the longer we go on sinning, the harder our hearts become. And it becomes a challenge for us. Listen, the harder our hearts grow, the harder it becomes for us to love. To love God and to love others. And that is sin. When we don't love God with our whole heart and we don't love our neighbor as ourself, I'm sinning. Because that breaks the law of God. The message of the kingdom. <laughs> this sounds so cliche, but it's not. The power and the message and the authority of the kingdom of God, listen to this, is love. The world will change when the kingdom of love and giving to one another and the kingdom of putting God first 
and the other person second and me third, when that gets rooted in my life and I begin to live out the love of God, that is living out the kingdom. And when love begins to grow in your heart for God and for others, good things happen. Good things happen. You know the little fun game that they played here, the little couples? We had the, the gal and tines and the guy and tines or whatever it was, or I don't know what it was. You know how interesting it was is that it's kind of like marriage. You know, you're holding this, and to win, both of you have to give the other something. That's the way life is. But when all we do is live life for what I can get out of it, and things come between us, and we can't give. Listen. Love perfected in our hearts is the end of sin in me. That's the kingdom. As love is perfected in my heart, the Spirit begins to grow the kingdom, the seed that is planted. And when your heart is hard, that, king, that seed cannot take root. It can't even begin to grow. But when you open your heart and you allow God to soften it and the seed takes root and you begin to believe and obey the word you get, that love is being perfected in your heart and that ends the sin in your life. You now begin to live for God wholeheartedly and you begin to live for the other. Sin hardens our heart and it keeps the seeds of God's kingdom out. But I think pride also hardens our heart. Pride is a sin. You know, Pharaoh, the Scripture says that Pharaoh, his hard-heartedness was his pride and arrogance. His pride and his arrogance. In the face of unrelentless plagues and miracles, God said, let my people go. And his pride and his arrogance was his hard-heartedness. His heart grew hard toward God, toward Moses, toward the Hebrew people. And he paid dearly for it. He paid dearly for it. King Nebuchadnezzar, it says in Daniel chapter 5, His heart became arrogant and hardened with pride. He was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and set over them anyone he wishes. Pride says, I don't need God. Pride says, I don't need others. Pride says, I'm going to do it my way. Pride says, I don't need any of that. And when we have pride and arrogance like that in our life, our hearts grow hard. And the seed of God, the kingdom seed of God, cannot take root. Listen, the gospel calls us to faith. And the gospel calls us to surrender. There is no room for pride in the kingdom of God. Pride cannot be a part of our life. Or the gospel will not create faith and the gospel we will not surrender to. The way of the cross is the end of all pride. Jesus didn't just teach the kingdom. He lived it. He loved God above all things. And he loved you 
more than his own life. And Jesus said, you cannot follow me unless you take your cross and follow every day. You say, well, what does that mean? Do I put a cross? Do I wear a cross? No, it means that you surrender your life. You allow your heart to become soft to the seeds the kingdom is throwing your way. And you begin to love God and others as Jesus has loved you and me. The way of the cross is the end of all this pride. You know, the kingdom of God is alive. Jesus, when he said the kingdom is near, what he was saying was, I'm here. I'm here. It's alive and it's ready to take root in your life. The gospel sets things right. Surrendering to God sets things right. Allowing the word of God to take root in your heart and grow will set things right. I've seen the hardest hearted beg for forgiveness for something they did years ago because the gospel demanded it. And reconciliation of relationships. I've seen I've seen husbands and wives who are on the verge of divorce begin to give to one another and allow that gospel to take root and it changes and they begin. Is their life perfect? No. Whose marriage is perfect, right? But they're trying and giving and loving one another and their marriage is stronger today than it was. But I've also seen one or two of the couple's harden their heart to what God wants to do and it destroys the marriage. This is true in all of life. There's a reason Jesus used marriage as an example of life. Because to do it right, you got to love unconditionally. you got to give something up to make it work. Marriages that work are more satisfying in the kingdom. Relationships that work are more fulfilling in the kingdom. Hope and joy is prevalent in the kingdom. It's a way of life that most only dream of. It's really up to you and me. As the word of God comes, is my heart going to be hard or am I going to allow that to take root in my life? So how does a heart soften? Mark 15. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Now listen. Repent and believe. But my heart's already hard. I'm callous. I I don't believe and I'm angry right now. I just want to hold on to my life, but I'm kind of understanding, Tony, what you're saying, but I want to give into it because that is a way of life that sounds good. It sounds right. I want that. I want to follow Jesus, but my heart, I just, I'm callous. I'm cynical. How can I soften my heart? Repent. See, what do you mean? It simply means to take a step in the other direction. You're going a certain way, and the longer you're on that path, the harder the path gets and the harder your heart gets. You simply turn, and you say, okay, I'm believing today what I'm hearing. 
I'm believing that Jesus is the true way, the true God who died for me. I want to take the way of the cross and begin to surrender my heart and life to him. It's one step in a different direction, and that will melt away the hardness of your heart. The moment you open your heart to God, your heart will soften. Our worship team's going to come. They're going to sing a song. And here's what I want you to do this morning. If God is speaking to you, as they sing, you can stay seated. But as they sing, I just want you to stand up. God's softening my heart. My heart's grown hard. And listen to this. I didn't say this earlier. I should have. Jesus talked more to the religious leaders about this than he did the, the sinful people. Religion has a way of hardening your heart. If you're not continually in a repentant life, allowing that word to change you. The moment we think we got it all figured out is the moment we stop allowing that to grow. And religious folk can become just as hard-hearted to what God wants to do in their life. Jesus talked to them like crazy about this. But as you're listening to this song, and I want to read the first verse of this song in chorus. Listen to this. I need you to soften my heart and break me apart. I need you, God, to open my eyes to see that you're shaping me. All I am I surrender. Give me faith to trust what you say. There's the belief part. That you're good and your love is great. I am broken inside. I give you my life. They're going to sing that for us. And as you are giving your life and allowing God to break your heart, just stand, would you? Stand where you're at. Just stand. Pray to God. I'll come up here in a moment and pray with you. Pray to God. Worship God. And let's give our hearts to God today. Amen. One.